Okay, uh, welcome to another edition of Culture Class Podcast, uh, the podcast where we get to talk to different people with interesting backgrounds, get to learn about other cultures. My name is Nosai Yari, and I have yet another guest today. Uh, she was recommended by Jonathan, who was on the podcast a couple of episodes ago. Uh, welcome, Natasha. Thank you, Nosa. Thank you for having me. Sure, of course. Uh, so the first question I usually ask most guests is, how do I pronounce your last name? Because I don't want to say something wrong and then you correct me and we have it on tape, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually Natasha, Natasha Barless, but that's the Americanized version of my name, Barless. Natasha Barless. Yeah. Gotcha. So, but what's the, and Natasha is from Pakistan. So Natasha is actually a Russian name, but but it's very... No, I mean, you are from Pakistan. Oh, I'm from Pakistan. Yeah, sorry. I thought you were talking about my name. No, yeah. no, no. But I'm... hey, we can talk about it. Like, what's the origin of the uh, name Natasha and the origin of Barlas? Yeah, so Natasha is actually a Russian name. Um, so when I meet people here, they're like, are you from Russia? But you don't look or you don't speak like Russian. But Natasha is actually a very common name back, in, back home in Pakistan. Really? Yeah, which is very surprising. That is surprising to me, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, so it's easy. I haven't had the issue of people mispronouncing my first name, but last name, yeah, in Pakistan, it's actually called Burlas. Burlas. Yeah, but we, I have been here for three years now, and I've just been so accustomed to the Americanized version Barlas that that's just what I go, which is interesting because when I go back home, my entire family is Barlas or Burlas. So it's, it's this weird cognitive shift like, that's the real way to gotcha. pronounce it. <laughs> I mean, I relate to your story, right? Because uh, my name is uh, Nosa, but I say Nosa mostly here in the U.S. Uh, back home, you know, where I'm from in Nigeria, it's actually pronounced Nosa. So, like, with more emphasis, but it's like Nosa. But, you know, uh, someone was calling me from Nigeria, and I was like, yeah, Nosa. I was like, dude, you've just been in the U.S. for how long? You've already <laughs> forgot how to pronounce your name. So, do you get those stares from your grandparents or people back home that, what? Why are you pronouncing your name like that? Oh, I do. Yeah, that's like, you know, those like funny dance, like so American of you, or like you're becoming, you're having an accent. But yeah, and it's funny because you don't really see it. And it's not like a pronunciation issue per se. Like it's the same for people, probably people from like different cultures can see the difference. Yeah. But if I explain to somebody here, they'll be like, they don't understand the difference. They don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. They hear it the same way. Exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about where you're from for a little bit, and we'll get into, you know, how you came to the U.S., why you came to the U.S., and all that good stuff. Well, talk to me about whom. Um, where are you from in Pakistan? How was it growing up? You know, all that good stuff. So um, I'm from Pakistan. I'm from a small city. It's not a small city, but um, one of the fewer known cities called Sialkot. 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 Um, okay. Is that northern, western, eastern? It's a it's it's a northern city. It shares a border with um you know Kashmir, which is yeah, territory yeah. area. But other than that, yeah, it's um most people around the world know it as the pr- producer of the World Cup football. Do you know about oh, the, yes, the world football, know. not American football or soccer as No, I come on, I'm yeah. Nigerian man. Come I, on. <laughs> so we have yeah, one of the leading football teams in Africa, so I know about the World Cup. Yeah. It, it's it's interesting because I have to remember um the American version and, and the world version because the American version is so different from everything else. But yeah. So um that's what my hometown's known for. They've been producing they've been official producers of the that FIFA World Cup ball for the past I wanna say Dude, I hope I'm not wrong for that, but yeah. No, I think it's been more than two years because I can remember watching the World Cup in 2010 and, uh, you know, the ball was different for the first time in a long time in 2010 and they added like, so was it? I think the ball in 2010 was Adidas or was it Nike? I'm not sure, but they added uh, like the African prints because it was in South Africa. 2010, and I watched the process of making the ball. Oh, you did? Yeah, nice. in, in Pakistan. It was this little uh, company that got the contract. I think they've been producing it right, right ever yeah, since. Yeah, so. I think they've been the official producers, and I think it's Adidas. Yeah, but um, yeah, those balls have been a hit, and like we've, which is really cool to be known for, you know, something really positive in the world. Yeah, but why is football, no, why is cricket more popular than football then, if the World Cup ball is produced there? In fact, we also make cricket bats, like, so so Sialkot, uh, my hometown, is an industrial city, so they manufacture a lot of sports goods, um, do a lot of, like, imports with textiles, um, 
you know, those scissors and the manufacture all those appliances. But um, I think football is just one of those things that became popular internationally. And gotcha. Just, but yeah, they also produce cricket balls. And in Pakistan, cricket, as you would know, is, is a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, back to growing up. Um, so when you are much younger, you grew up in Seattle and you spent, um, I would assume, the majority of your life growing up, up to maybe your late teens or early 20s in Sialkot. Um, what were the earliest memories you had uh, growing up back home? Yeah, so um, it was a small town. It was an industrial town. So, you know, all these businessmen, they all knew each other. Uh, it was a pretty tight community. So I just, I grew up, almost my friends would know everybody. My friends, parents would be friends with each other. So it was like a nice, um, small community growing up. Uh, the earliest memories... I think it was because it was, you know, it's, it was a small town, so we didn't really have a lot of recreation growing up, not a lot of like restaurants or places to go to. So every summer it would be exciting that we would, um, so my maternal family is all from Islamabad, which is the capital. The capital, yeah. Yeah. So it would, it would be an entire trip that we're going to, in the summer, we're going to visit our maternal family and then go to this big city with like, you know, malls and like food places. McDonald's used to be a big thing when I was growing up. Like really? Really? It was the thing that people, and we did not have a McDonald's, you know, when I was in, going. In Salford's. In Salford's, okay. Gotcha. Like going. And I mean, when I look back now, I think of all the food options, would I really want to, you know, go hang out in McDonald's? <laughs> <laughs> but it was a big thing then, like, you know, just going to McDonald's, um, all of us cousins would get together. So it was a nice summer, just looking forward to meeting everybody. And we wouldn't, and gosh, I sound so old when I say stuff like this, like we wouldn't have WhatsApp or, you know. Texting wouldn't be that hey, 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 you're not old. You're not old. You're fine. I mean, I remember a time when there was no WhatsApp. I remember writing letters when I was in high school to my parents, like actually like writing letters and mm. posting those letters. Like, yeah. So when, when I came to the U.S. and I was doing my tax filing for the first time mm. and I, I couldn't file electronically, so I had to go to USPS post office post. And that brought back memories of like <laughs> posting letters, you know, when I was like 10 years old, you know, writing letters and my dad correcting all the grammatical spelling and bringing me back home <laughs> during the holidays to show me, okay, you got this wrong, that wrong, which he still does on WhatsApp. So I guess that. So you have had homework for the summer, like Fixing your grammar. Yeah, it was like, this is all the letters you sent while you were in school. This is where all the mistakes. And he still does that on our family group in WhatsApp. So that transcended (laughs) beyond technology. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, this industrial community in Salkot, is it popular for people to grow up and leave Salkot? Or is it kind of like, oh, when you grow up and, you know, go to school, you come, you join the family business or, you know, friends business and just go from there? I want to say the trend is still very similar about you. You know, you grow up, you get in higher education, you go abroad for, you know, your undergrad. Uh, and you, you, oh, wait, so going abroad was a popular thing? Uh, for boys, yes, because, you know, again, it's a small town and the country's, I don't want to say um, very conservative, but it's still, at least Seattle is still uh, a little, it's still progressing towards sending their girls for higher education, which has improved a lot over the time. But, yeah, it's still... Um, you know, you, the boys at least had a very clear focus about, they just knew that they're going to finish their high school, they're going to go abroad for their undergrad, because mm. most of the businessmen in the, in Seattle, majority of them would be exporters. So, you know, mm. they go abroad, they already have those connections. Um, yeah, but Seattle is very far away from the, is it very far away from the, from the sea, like where the port is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's in the north and the port is right in the south. south. Which um, raised an interesting issue as well because, you know, it would be, for the businessmen, it was very expensive to, you know, keep sending stuff to the port. And the nearest airport would be Lahore, which is still two and a half hours. Now it's become two and a half hours away, but it was a little like it would take three hours to get there. Uh, And an interesting fact, Seattle is one of the first or the only cities, at least in Pakistan, which has a private airport. Really? So they didn't have an airport and um, I don't know whether, you know, the government didn't see profitable or politically profitable to give them to invest in an airport there. So all the businessmen actually got together, pooled in their resources. And yeah, so we have our own private airport, which is owned by all the businessmen shareholders. Wow. And it actually has the biggest runway in the country. Wait, do do they operate commercial flights or is it more like cargo? Oh, no, they do operate commercial flights. They have contracts with Etihad, Qatar. um, And I mean, you know, when you have contracts with Etihad, Qatar, you can just connect a flight to um, everywhere. 
they recently started a direct flight with a uh, direct flight to France. Um, I think they were working, they were having some promotional deal, uh, working with direct flights for the World Cup to London. Uh, and then, you know, the local PIA flights. So it made traveling so much easier for these businessmen because they can just get on the, get on the, get, get to the airport in the morning and just be, you know, meet their um, customer in France and then just be back in two, three days. Oh, that is so amazing you said that because where, where I'm from, right? I'm from Nigeria and I'm from the southern part of Nigeria, but in the eastern part of Nigeria is somewhere called Aba, which is like, like an industrial hub. It's supposed to be like the place that has the most economic activity. But like you said, uh, we also have this thing with politics and ethnic, whatever. And that place is not as developed as it should be. If it, if we harness the full potential of Aba, it should produce a sizable chunk of our GDP, maybe three, four, five percent, because we're an oil-based country. Uh, but unfortunately, the government hasn't provided right, provided the right infrastructure. But seeing that people in Seattle courts got together, private people, and they developed their own infrastructure, is just amazing. And I don't know, maybe I'll be doing some more digging on how that exactly took place. How old is the airport? Oh no, it's not that old. It's when I say only four or five years old. Wow, so yeah, this is something recent. recent. Yeah, very recent, yeah. Okay, but they, everyone could get together to... So that means uh, Sialkot is not really uh, fragmented in terms of maybe culture or religion. Is it like a homogeneous place or they still have different... Yeah, I would say it's pretty much a homogeneous place, like um, not very fragmented in terms of culture or religion. Unfortunately... And, you know, Pakistan still ha- still has a lot of its flaws. It's still struggling from accepting other... We don't have an issue of culture, a diverse culture per se, but we do have a lot of, like, diverse religions in the country. But um, they're still struggling with accepting and welcoming all religions in the country. And we have a lot of, like, secular violence because of it, that there's this one powerful religion and then, you know, all the other minorities get really... Um, crushed and you know they're always worried and scared for you know terrorist activities and all that stuff so so what are the top two or three religions uh, the most popular um, i would say uh, so the most popular and the majority religion is islam because mm-hmm. it's it's an islamic country mm-hmm. we do have a minority of christians um also a minority of hindus as well mm-hmm. hindus are most um and within islam as you would know that there are a lot of like different sects just like Christianity, there are a lot of like sects in um, Islam, yeah. um, but the majority of uh, in Pakistan are Sunnis, and then there's a lot of like unfortunate violence towards the Shia sects, you know, all the other um, Islamic sects within uh, the religion. So in Pakistan, in in Sialkot, I would say that they're it's very homogeneous. Like they're not really acknowledging of other religions or within other sects of. Um, even Islam. Even Islam. Um, and to be honest, I thought about that because when you said Natasha earlier in the podcast, when you said Natasha was a very popular name, I was like, huh, isn't it a Muslim country? Majorly, like, uh, I would imagine, like, most of the names might not necessarily be have Russian origin, but mm-hmm. I guess there, there's something there. Um, but, yeah, it's unfortunate um, to know that, you know, in this day and age, I, I always sit back and ask, is, our, is the younger generation the same way? Are we better? I don't know. It's sometimes hard to, to gauge, you know, when you look at like religious and tribal conflict or uh, the globe over. Um, but um, does that transcend beyond borders? Because I know some countries where they have like some tribal or religious issues, even when um, members of those tribes come to the U.S., it stays the same. Or pretty much when everyone leaves Pakistan, then you can, like, everyone can mingle regardless of like sect or whatever i want to believe yes at least in my experience like you know when how i've interacted with people when i've left pakistan it hasn't been oh you're you're a pakistani what's your religion it's just like oh you're a pakistani and it's like all pakistanis coming together and then and i want to come to your previous point about our generation i also do think that way and i feel maybe it's because our generation is just more exposed to different cultures and with the media and, you know, with television and everything, we're more aware or at least more, you know, I don't want to say comfortable, but at least uh, it's, we just have, or yeah, maybe like comfortable, but just maybe we'd have friends who are from a different sector. Like even in the U.S., you'd have friends with, you know, people from different religions, people from different genders. 
as well. So maybe where we don't see that many differences, which is why maybe our generations a little we think about these things more, whereas you know the previous generation because again because of technology they didn't really they would communicate within their own circle, they wouldn't travel that much, so maybe that's just a circle that they're comfortable with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And hopefully, you know, this podcast is doing its own bit to like build those bridges, uh, no matter how small those bridges are. I mean, I've gotten to interview people from different parts of the world, and I discovered that whenever I interview people from one part of the world, like that particular episode is downloaded or played maybe a third of the time from that area. Mm-hmm. So from not, not exactly from that particular country, but that area. So if it's Southeast Asia, if it's the Middle East, if it's Africa, like a third of the episodes will be downloaded and played there. Then, you know, we'll have the U.S. and a couple of European countries. And shout out to uh, the person always downloading. So I have this listener. I don't know who it is, but like five minutes after I always publish every episode, someone from Dublin always downloads it. I don't know who. I've been trying to get him or her (laughs) to please send me an email and let's discuss. But yeah, I appreciate the love. Like literally, like if I post it like 12 o'clock, 12.05, like like 12.01 or like literally like seconds or one minute, maybe he has like the app and, you know, uh, I have like a notification or something on his phone, but uh, I really appreciate uh, the love. So yeah, your voice will be heard in Dublin. That's awesome. And I mean, I would want to hear this person who keeps listening to your podcast and how they found out about it, what they think of different cultures. Sure. Hey, that's a great job you're doing with connecting different cultures, right? Hey, I appreciate it. I do what I can, you know, even though sometimes I'm not a professional journalist and sometimes I always sound ignorant, but you know, I'm just doing my best uh, to try to uh, do what I can. But let's talk about you coming to the U.S., right? Did you come to the U.S. because of the Fulbright? Uh, what was that process like? Why did you come to the U.S.? Uh, and what are you doing currently? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I did most of my high school in Sialkot, and then um, I did my undergrad from a university in Lahore, which is one of the leading universities in Pakistan. And that okay. really broadened my horizon. You know, um, they usually follow a U.S. model. Most of the professors there are have done their PhDs from abroad. The University of Lahore. So it's called Lahore University of Management Sciences. Lahore University Sciences, of Management Sciences. Okay. Yeah. So um, in that university, it's a, it's a growing trend for most of, you know, the people who did their bachelors to come to abroad, especially in the US and the UK um, and Europe as well, um, but continue their higher education masters. I was very fortunate that my parents, um, because my dad got his, undergrad from the United States. So he always pushed his children to get the education, as much education as we'd like. He was very pro, you know, us going abroad for higher education. Can I ask a question real quick before you go on? So your dad pushed all his children, both uh, boys and girls, to go abroad. So all of his kids. So it's, uh, I'm the eldest daughter and he has two, and then I have two younger brothers. Gotcha. So compared to like in Pakistan, not a lot of, I was the first girl in my family to move out of my hometown to do an undergrad. So I went out of my hometown, Lahore, and that was, I remember my grandfather. So does Sialkot have a university? It does, but it's not the most resourceful. Like, gotcha. you know, it, like, it has a lower quality, unfortunately, like teachers are not that trained. I can see that because everyone's all about business. Like, why you go to school? You got to make money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then like, you know, why do you, and, and it's unfortunate, like, you know, why would you want to um, send your girl to, like send your daughter to higher education because, you know, she you should focus on spending that money on your boy or son yeah. who's going to come back. But luckily, I wanted to give the disclaimer that the trend's been changing a lot. Like a lot more girls are moving abroad um, abroad and like out of the city for um, their education. So I want to shout out like all the parents are really pushing for um, giving their girls equal opportunities. But yeah, so I remember um, it was an interesting conversation. My, my family was very pro on sending me to the other city but they were right like why does she have to stay there she can just always so Lahore is two and a half hour by drive and um my family was she can just you know go in the morning and then come back at night and then go in the morning again mm. um but my parents really advocated that you know she needs to move outside of her house to you know actually grow and explore herself because wow. that's how you actually you know grow as a as an individual not just with the education you get but with yeah. the experiences yeah so that experience sort of like really changed my outlook. I really wanted to get a higher education. I actually had an undergrad in finance and then I did my master's in school psychology. So that was a huge shift. Like I saw the problems in the education sector and mental health sector. And I really wanted to um, work towards those. So, and since we don't really have any 
policy or any programs on mental health in Pakistan. So I really wanted to learn from the U.S. and if you know what programs that they're going on, so hopefully implement that. In mental I, health. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you say that, right? Because I've noticed, uh, I mean, I can speak for the black community, uh, but I would imagine a bunch of minority communities also have not really tapped into the power of using, you know, psychologists and just being aware of like mental health issues. So where I'm from, you know, growing up, if anyone, you know, is showing signs of, you know, mental health challenges or whatever, most times the average Nigerian parent is like straight to the church or straight to like a traditional, whatever the, uh, the religion is, mm-hmm. you know, and most times they don't, it's only till I came to the U.S. I started to understand, you know, little by little that, hey, you know, the mind in itself, just like how you go to a doctor when you're sick uh, to treat the body, the mind in itself sometimes, yeah, there are, are people who have done extensive studies uh, and research on how to treat the mind. So why not give, you know, science a chance? But I'm seeing that more and more millennials are beginning to be aware of mental health issues, depression, uh, you know, um, thoughts of suicide, things like that. Uh, It's really, but we have a very long way to go to minority population. Exactly. And and it's interesting you say that, like, you know, Nigeria and and Pakistan are so far apart in the world, but still the issues are exactly the same. Even in Pakistan, if uh, if there's still a lot of stigma with mental health and if, you know, somebody is suffering from maybe depression or stress or anxiety, the first thought is, oh, you're not close to God, which is why you're having these issues. And of course, I, um, you know, religion to each their own, and I consider myself a religious person as well, but um, sometimes it's really hard to at least explain to the elder generation that, yes, you know, but religion is not the only thing that's causing these issues. Again, like, exactly like you said, like, you know, if you have a physical pain, you go to a doctor, and this is just a mental, a, a pain in your mind or a chemical imbalance as well. So, and it should be treated, but yeah, like, they would send them to a mosque, or be like, just pray more, and everything will be okay. Uh, not really seeking consultancy. And then there's the other issue of like not trusting psychologists because you, exactly. you shouldn't talk about your family issues outside the family. And- Bingo, exactly. Not knowing that even within the family, no one is talking about it. Like even when, you know, you have a little child and he's trying, a teenager is trying to talk to you about something, you just be like, don't talk about that. Like go and play. You don't know what mm-hmm. you're doing. Or, you know, he's a small child or whatever, you know, so... Uh, yeah, but why that shift? Was there? What did did, did you go through uh, an experience? Was what was there? Uh, I don't know as much as you would like to share, but you know, finance to psychology or what, what psychology or education? Um, it's a cross between education and psychology. So it's basically mental health in schools for children. Oh, so, so my program is very focused on the interventions and the support and the curriculum you can include in schools um, for to just improve a child's mental development and then how it impacts their personal development and academic progress. Interesting. And did you actually do research for this? Actually, no. So um, my journey to where I am right now has been very, like, just coincidental. Okay. Um, so I went into finance because I absolutely, when I was in high school, hated sciences. You know, I could not, I could not understand biology. My And, you know, how every, so in, in Pakistan, um, there are only three career paths that you can only be successful in if you're so if you have the academic capability. Can I not, guess? Do you want to take a shot? Medicine. Medicine, bingo. If, um, what engineering? If you were playing Family Feud right now, you'd be like number one. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same in most parts of the world, but I can imagine. But what are those three areas? And, and because you can start with say industrial city, so business, either study business, engineering, Oof. and um, medical. So because I was not really the best in sciences, so medicine was out, engineering was out. Uh, and then, you know, I I always saw my dad as an inspiration. So I was like, I want to do what he does. So I took business courses. Finance. And can, I, can I also cut you short there? Sorry for cutting you off. Uh-huh. I, I don't think you were in the best in sciences. I would say you were not just interested in sciences. Uh, I, I can put it that way if I say so myself. Because I don't know, because um, I, I haven't heard or seeing any Fulbright scholar who, you know, but yeah, I digress. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, I when digress. you're, when you're a seventh grader, you judge, like I have a lot of insight now, but when you're a seventh grader, you judge your capabilities or interests based on the, you know, the grades you get. From what they tell you, yeah. Or what, or exactly what they tell you. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, so I went to finance, um, 
the business school, London Business School was one of the top business schools in the, in this country. So you know, I got in. It was very exciting. And um, and then when I was in my sophomore year, I realized finance and accounting is not for me. Like the corporate sector, I do not see myself working in the corporate sector. Wait, is it is it actually a U.S. based system? So they use that whole sophomore, junior, senior thing. They do. They have a U.S. model. We have and the GPA the is GPA. four points. Everything we have the GPA. Wow. We have you know electives. Um, Pre courses, you okay. know, core courses. So it was That's a core US curriculum. Yeah, so it was a very core US format. Um, I know even in the business school they would use case studies from Harvard Business School. And the, wow. So it was they were very focused on you know bringing that innovation or using those global best best practices in the country. Yeah. Um, but yeah, coming back. So in my sophomore year, I realized, and I had, a, and I was fortunate that I could have these conversations with my parents. But I remember having conversation with my dad, and he said. Yeah, sure. You can switch. Um, you know, you can if you don't like business. Sure, you can. I think you can be a computer scientist. And I haven't studied computer science since you know high school, and so you know, yeah, like that didn't really fit. But again, like those limited options. So I just stuck through business. But I took a lot of. I think the U.S. model helped me take a lot of like courses in psychology. I took literature, mm. um, and then I realized that one of the main issues that we do, I wasn't able to figure out my program before, you know, I went to undergrad was because we don't really have a lot of guidance, at least in, in my hometown, Seattle. Mm-hmm. So I went back and became a career advisor. So I could like, work. I didn't take a corporate job. I just went back to my hometown, became a career advisor in my, um, one, in my own, um, you know, the school, uh, in one of the, not my own, sorry, in one of the um, high schoolers schools there. And just like would help students sort of figure out their interest as well as, you know, their family expectations and help them nice. figure out a major that would help them. Is that a popular thing in Pakistan? No, uh, um, guidance counseling? Yeah. It's popular in the major cities like Lahore, Karachi, Islamabad, but I actually was one of the first career so, counselors because, yeah. you know, somebody who studied from Nams wouldn't really want to go back go back to yeah. a, such a low paying, um, yeah. not like a modest paying job. We used to have that uh, when I was growing up, like the Department of Guidance and Counseling in most of schools in Nigeria. But as I started getting to high school, like most of those roles were just cut off and you don't really have that now. So I wonder who's guiding the kids. But hey, anyway, yeah. I guess we have the Internet. But. Yeah, like, which is nice. I mean, they can listen to this podcast and know we're available to help. Them. I doubt it if kids are listening to podcasts. They are more like watching YouTube or <laughs> watching true. some funny videos. But sorry, as you were saying, like your guidance counselor journey in the high school, yeah. working with kids, and obviously maybe that connected somehow. And um, so I had sort of in my senior year sort of figured out this is what I want to do because in my senior year, all my friends sort of had an idea of what they wanted to do, and I was so lost that I felt like, you know, when most of the kids in my hometown didn't really have that exposure as other kids that I was competing in or that I was colleagues with uh, in my undergrad was. So, and interestingly, my father has been very like, you know, he um, is always, every time we'd have a conversation, he would always like us to be focused with what we want to do with our lives and have a plan. So I was graduating and this was three months before I was graduating and I knew that I was going to meet him soon when I graduated and he'd ask me, okay, what's next? And I had no idea what's next. And then I actually saw a few of my friends applying for the Fulbright scholarship and I read through it that you apply right now and then you hear um, back in October, and this was May right now, and you hear back in October and I thought, hmm, maybe I can apply to this and then tell my dad, I've, I've applied for the Fulbright, I'm waiting to hear and in that meantime, figure out my life. Your life. So just, just yeah. for the sake of people listening all over the world, so mm-hmm. not everyone has, some people are listening to this and wondering how you know, they can maybe come to the U.S. Or, so you want to talk a little bit about Fulbright Scholarship. What is it? What's its purpose? And how did you go about sure. maybe application? Yeah, so the Fulbright Scholarship is an amazing opportunity for anybody in the world. It's free to apply for the scholarship in most countries. Every country has a different um, criteria for it, but I'm just going to speak about uh, the Pakistan's criteria. So in Pakistan, at least, you have this um, application where you give a GRE, you apply for the Fulbright program, you give, you write essays, a personal statement about who you are, what you want to do, and then um, a study objective essay about what you want to achieve from your master's or PhD program. You can either apply for master's or PhD, and then you give some preferences of universities, and then you get selected, and then you're called in for an interview, and you get selected for the Fulbright program. Um, it's a it's an educational and cultural scholarship. So their main goal is that they're looking for individuals uh, who really want to give back to their country. So you know you may have an interest about 
working on the mental health sector, the education sector, or the public health sector in your country. And they would give you the resources. They would send you to, um, they would apply for schools on your behalf. They would send you to one of the leading universities. Oh, so you mean the application to Fulbright is separate from the school application? You just have to do one application to Fulbright. Oh, yes. Um, oh, interesting. And again, I want to say um, every country has different requirements. So this is, so I know, for example, in some countries, the students have to apply. Uh, Fulbright just gives them a lump sum money and the students have to apply to schools and they can decide the schools for themselves. So it's I would re- it's recommend that you look into your countries. Um, yeah, and I'm sure it's on the website, right? Like Fulbright.com or the org or something or yeah. Google Fulbright. You see all the requirements. Yeah, I think if you Google Fulbright uh, and your country application and then you may get like a specific page for your, uh, because for your country. Because like our, for example, Pakistan had its own uh, USCFP you know, program that was conducting Fulbright on behalf of the U.S. So every country ha- would have, most of the countries that they would be working with would have their own. But yes, it's an amazing opportunity. Um, I think the only, uh, I wouldn't want to say caveat, but their requirement is that you, their idea is that you're getting the training in the United States to come go back and help your home country. So they require you to go back and serve or work towards, you know, your goals for two years before you can move away or at least come back in the U.S. So it's great for people who want to get, you know, an all-expense-paid education. They pay for your stipend. They give you a lot of professional development training. They give you an amazing network of Fulbrighters along around the world. Like I got connected to this podcast because of, you know, Fulbright. a Fulbrighter. Yeah, of course. So um, definitely, if you're interested in higher education, definitely look into it. Uh, for Pakistan, it was just one application. Once you're done, they apply to schools. Gotcha, gotcha. So you know, okay. So 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 I'm um, sorry. You were gonna say? No, nothing. So it was like a good time frame for me to buy time till my dad asked me Your questions dad, yeah. and I was going to figure out what I want to do in that time period. But I got fortunate. I got an interview call. I got selected and then life sort of like fanned for me. So I was going to this program and I didn't know what school psychology was. I just Googled it on the internet because I really wanted to do something in education and mental health. And this program just popped up. And when I came here and I started learning what it is and I started interacting with people in this program and I realized how much Pakistan at least needed a cross between mental health and education. Uh, Because like we just discussed, even if somebody like a lot of people are acknowledging mental health and they would advocate for it, but it's really difficult for them to at least at least get out of their stigma to go see a therapist or wouldn't really have that family support. Uh, And even a lot of like therapists, unfortunately, uh, may not have the right work ethics which may, may make people more resistant to go so I realized the best way to give children at least the support is to embed it in schools because schools are still a trusted network so that's how I got here oh nice nice and what do you want to do like in the future you want to work in the education sector uh, in education psychology and if I understand uh, what you studied um, is it that you're going to infuse things in the curriculum to cater for people who might be having certain psychological challenges or this is more like how to deliver the current curriculum or both? Um, ideally, yeah, I would like to say both. So um, my in an ideal world, I would like for schools, you know, all around the world, but especially in Pakistan, to have an embedded um, social emotional welfare curriculum. So it's, it's just a 30 minute of teaching kids from a younger age to be you just understand their feelings because um, a lot of children act out like they would have outbursts because they don't understand what's really going on. So they may throw a tantrum because uh, the academic curriculum is you know, stressful for them or they may throw a tantrum because somebody, they're fighting with a kid or little things. So you may, if even if you're not clinically depressed or you know, you're know you not clinically anxious, you may just have those symptoms and because you don't know what they are, you may just, you know, just maybe just get off track. Um, so... I really want schools to just have these curriculum so children are aware, okay, if they're angry, it's okay to be angry. This is what I can do to not be angry instead of, you know, just throwing stuff here and there. And then as you grow, you learn these little techniques and they're embedded, just make you more self-aware. And if you're more self-aware about, you know, your body, your emotions, your feelings, it just reflects better as you, it just works on your personal growth. Gotcha, gotcha. I like to see an aspect of that curriculum and to teach young boys on how to do or how to interact with girls. <laughs> because for crying out loud, it's the, the way we learn, the way life teaches young boys that grow up to young men mm-hmm. that make all these silly mistakes. Um, it's unfortunate, but 
I don't know if that's something the school should do or the family should do, but there should be some way, I don't know, to, to, to teach young boys to train young boys. Because growing up, like, there are funny things you experience, right? That your friend, you know, all your friends make fun of you. Your older uncles are telling you one thing. You are seeing a different thing on TV. Like, you really don't know. There's no one really there to guide you. Like, oh, this is how you're supposed to do this. How you're supposed to act. This is how to be a gentleman. This is, you know, and you just... It can lead to a disruptive lifestyle down in the future if, if it's not, you know, nipped in the bud early. But. Oh boy, you just reminded me, teenagers, oh, if, if any teenager is listening it, you know, you're going to get through this. Teenagers is definitely just a very stressful period of one's life. But yeah, like you said, I mean, if we just started talking about it, and even in schools, because school is such a safe space for everybody, all the kids, that they yeah. would be just so much more comfortable and aware of how to deal with all the issues that their you know, body's going, their mind's going. Yeah. So what's the major, how many languages do you speak, by the way? Um, I wish I spoke more. I speak English. Uh, Urdu is my mother tongue. Uh, Urdu? Urdu, yeah, that's Pakistan's national language. Okay. Um, and then Pakistan is divided into different provinces, and each province has its own dialect. So I'm from Punjab. And unfortunately, and I know my Parents do not like this fact. I can understand Punjabi because I used to speak it with my grandmother, uh, my late grandmother, but I hesitate on speaking it because it just, I haven't spoken it enough. I've just listened to it. So I, I feel uncomfortable speaking it. I can say it in my head, but I don't know the right words, right? Either. So I want to say two and a half. Would that be a good? <laughs> I mean, that's good. That's way better than me. <laughs> and, and I can understand Hindi. Like we can speak Hindi because Hindi verbally is the same. Hindi is the um, national, I, I, I don't want to quote, I don't think it's the national language of India, but it's, it's the language most commonly most spoken common in, in, in India. And India. you're so close to India, so Siakot uh, is, is, is right there. Um, but did you say you speak Punjab? Because I thought Punjab was like something only, because when you say Punjab, I think about, you know, is Punjabi a language or religion or both? Uh, no, it's definitely not a religion. It's a culture. It's a culture. It's a culture. Gotcha. So it's, it's a language. Um, um, Punjabi is a, a language, and then there's like different, um, you know, clothes that are associated with the culture. Yeah, the Sikhs, right? Uh, yeah, so Sikhs. Uh, Sikh, I want to say, is a religion. Oh, okay, that's a religion. That's a religion. Gotcha. But yeah, they're, they're part of the. Because Punjab usually was this big province, of, you know, when Pakistan and India were just India. Uh, and then, you know, when the country's divided, so we have the Pakistan side of the job and the India side of the job. So that's where. Okay, so let me simplify this. Punjab, without the I, is a location, is, a, is an area. Yeah. Punjabi is a language. So Punjabi are the people who are from that area, and that's the language that they speak. Yeah. Oh, so when you say someone is Punjabi, that means the person is from Punjab and he speaks Punjabi. Well, he is Punjabi. That's a culture. Yeah. And parts, uh, some people who speak Punjabi are Sikhs, which is a religion somehow. Or I'm not. Uh, yeah. So that um, it is a religion. I, um, I unfortunately I'm not that well versed in um, you know, how the Indian part of like you know the language and um the culture, but in Pakistan, uh, if you're from Punjab, that's the the dialect that was spoken before you know Urdu and then before um. The British came over and they instilled more Urdu and then English within the country. Gotcha, gotcha. And I've been getting into Punjabi music too. Uh, while um, I interviewed, yeah, I mean, there's this. So uh, there's this. Um, I mean, Honey Singh, which is like an Indian musician. Mm -hmm. He doesn't sing in Punjabi, does he? He may throw in a bit he more throw in a pieces, bit. but yeah. yeah, it's. But I'd like to say like Punjabi is is. Like, you know, culture and experience is a part of language and then there's a particular style of um, your lifestyle, your mindset, your um, the clothes, even food and stuff. So yeah, that sounds like Alter. I don't know. Whoever is listening from Nigeria, you understand what that means. It's like a it's like a new counterculture that's moving in Nigeria. They have their own, their own way of doing things. But yeah, I've been listening to Punjabi music. Billy X is someone who I really enjoy. I just discovered a guy because I listen to UK hip hop music, which is grime. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a Punjabi guy in Birmingham called Jaga. Okay. And he, he raps in Punjabi and just has this flow. He's kind of, he grew up in uh, uh, Birmingham, so he has this London thing, but he's like, he wears a turban and he raps in Punjabi. So Jaga, which is really cool, like his videos are awesome on YouTube, so you can go and check him out. He's like bubbling up. If you are a fan of Grime, uh, check out Jaga. 
Uh, what kind of music do you listen to? Uh, very diverse. Um, I think I my Tugo music is definitely... I feel like sometimes I'm born in the wrong generation because my Tugo music is definitely, you know, music from the 80s. Abba. Um, I was listening to ABBA last night with my friends, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ABBA, um, 80s and 70s, like you know, ABBA, Queen, um, Beatles. Oh, Have you watched uh, Bohemian Rhapsody? I did. Nice. I did. I liked it. Yeah, yeah it, it was, was great. It was great. And um, I didn't know that um, Freddie Mercury was actually, you know, a Muslim. He wasn't from Pakistan, but he was also a Muslim. Um, so that was interesting. But yeah, um, Recently, I, I enjoy like a lot of different types of music depending on my mood. I can be into pop, like Coldplay's my favorite band recently. Uh, not a fan of rap and electronic music per se, like everything kids these days listen to. Mm-hmm. And again, that makes me sound way older. I'm not that old. I'm still in my 20s. <laughs> anybody who's listening out no, well, there. We can, put, we can put a picture up <laughs> so you guys will see. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I listen to a lot of Pakistani music. We have Recently, our music industry has also flourished. We um, got this platform called Coke Studio. Oh, we have that back home. We have Coke Studio Africa. I've actually listened to Coke Studio Africa. Really? Uh, I want it's not a lot, like one or two. Yeah, you should you should you should check the Runtown episode. Whoever is mm-hmm. listening to this, check out the Runtown and Nasty C episode of Coke Studio Africa. That's the one that had the most downloaded. It was like a fusion of their songs, and they did like a nice. cover of each other's song. It was amazing. Nice. Yeah, and it's really nice music. And I think Coke Studio is doing this amazing job. They, there's Coke Studio India, I know Coke Studio Africa, Pakistan. Mm-hmm. So they're just bringing Eastern Pakistan. They bring all the old music. So we, so Pakistan's. Urdu language, at least, is really known for its literature, its music, its poetry. Uh, so there were a lot of like poetry that got converted into we call them uh, puzzles. 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 G H A Z A L S. Oh, puzzles. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so puzzles is basically like um, you know Urdu poetry that's is translated into music, and it's it's beautiful. And now. Um, there are artists who come together and just bring all the old, the new, and put the previous music, and then they would just sing it or do covers, and, and it's beautiful. It's introducing to a lot of, like, reintroducing our generation to a lot of, like, you know, gen- music from previous generations. And do those um, poems and poetry, do they usually contain, like, positive messages and wisdom, yeah, things like that? Yeah, they're, they're positive messages about the country. Nice. Um, there are positive messages about, you know, religion. Um, Sufism is a very it's 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 a spiritual form of um, Islam. So there are a lot of all a lot of my puzzles are based on that Sufi concept. But yeah, so it's that's exciting that there's a Kukshiri Africa as well. Yeah, 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 and hopefully I'll, I'll go. I'll go here. I'll go on YouTube and check out Coke, uh, Coke Studio Pakistan to yeah. see. Well, and that's the one reason I like hip hop, right? Because through hip hop, I like get to learn about a whole. Um, different genres of music. So hip hop, you know, is based off of sampling most of the time. And you know, when I just hear like a melody, and I or I check the writers, or I check the producers, I then through that get to learn. That's how I learned about you know uh, most of those Swedish DJs. You know, um, R.I.P. Avicii, Swedish uh-huh. House Mafia, and all those other guys yeah. it was true hip hop. So uh, yeah, but it's great to know that you know there's a commonality in Coke Studio, mm-hmm. but. Uh, Cook didn't pay for an ad, but anyway, we love Cook. <laughs> it's, it's more like we cannot get rid of it. So just exactly. But yeah, um, my one of my favorite and the one that I could think of right now is called Afreen. Afreen. If anybody wants to check that out, uh, it's purely in Urdu, but I'm sure if you look on YouTube, you'll find English subtitles and just the music and the vocals uh, of the song. We talked a little bit about growing up, um, why you came to the U.S., um, why you got into psychology, what you want to do in the future and in the long term. Um, something that, you know, someone can refer back to this clip 20 years from now, 15 years from now and say, oh, yeah, she said that. You know. uh, I'm actually going back to this game. I'm going back to Pakistan in a month. Really? Fulbright, um, I got fortunate that I got extended for a year. My Fulbright contract was till 2018 and then uh, I was able to get some work experience uh, this year which brought me to DC and I'm going to go back um, Are you going back to Salcott? That's debatable, I would love to I haven't stayed with my family for a really long while so I would love to you know, spend time with my family um, but wherever the opportunity to work 
comes. Maybe Salford, Lahore, Islamabad. Let's see, I'm open. But um, I think I really want to do anything I can with just infusing mental health in schools. Mm. Uh, whether it's for, you know, children, gen- the general population, which is, like, you know, people like uh, us who may not have any clinical, um, you know, mental health concerns, but may, they may still. Uh, they would benefit from just coping with stress, coping with anxiety, coping with relationship issues, communicating with the families, like a, a whole bunch of things. And and then especially with people who who have some mental health concerns, you know, may they have there are a lot of population in Pakistan that has autism, and the parents don't know what to do about it. There are no mm. uh, like in, in Pakistani schools, if your kid has autism, um, you should just pull unfortunately pull that school student kid out of that school and then take wow. them to a special. School. A special school. Yeah, and then um, ADHD, which is attention deficit hyperactive, and that's something they may like be able to stay in the school, but then their behavior may be considered a bad behavior because they're always like hyper and impulsive, but it's not yeah. their fault. So just educate the teachers to be able to handle these kids better. Educate the parents to. And get, getting the diagnosis right is also something because exactly. uh, most time we don't even know what we just know that there's an issue, but what exactly is it? We don't know. So uh, I always like joking that I have OCD, but I've never actually gotten diagnosed. So I'm not sure if it's OCD. Uh-huh. Uh, the same thing with this whole INTJ. Now everyone is saying they're INTJ, but how many people have actually taken the personality test for INTJ? Um, so just getting the diagnosis right so you know what you're working with and equipping those who are responsible for care and education with the tools to you know deal with exactly. issues. Yeah, so just like, and, and I think I've come to the conclusion that if, uh, because Pakistan has so many things going on, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in the education reform that mental health is not a priority for them right now because we don't have any mental health reform. So maybe if the schools can pick up on supporting these kids, then it will just have a trickle-down effect. So that's like my 20, 25 years. Um, whichever institution I can work with, even if I can work with private schools, but just have that education to parents, teachers, and then just give those kids. Gotcha, gotcha. Which is something similar to what Jonathan, uh, our mutual friend, wants to do. But he wants to, um, he he also wants to work with like young people in schools, uh, but like through music and yeah. development, you know, things like that. So yeah, I think that's what the Fulbright is all about. So and you know, the only two way making sure they're developing the people who can actually champion these causes, you know, going into yeah. the future. Uh yeah. Um, yeah, if you guys are listening to this right now, can you do me a favor? Can you open up your phones, take a screenshot of your screen, whatever platform you're listening to this on, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, whatever. Take a screenshot right now and just post it on your WhatsApp stories. If you don't have WhatsApp stories, please post it on your Instagram stories. I'm not saying like use it as your profile or anything because I know people get protective. No, why should I use it? As a... Just post it on your stories. Just 24 hours, guys. Do me a favor, please. Uh, just take a screenshot. Post it on your stories so, you know, the podcast can become more popular. If you're in D.C. I want to reach out to me, uh, send me an email. Maybe we can set something up. It depends. But thank you very much, Natasha, for coming. Uh, is there anything uh, else we didn't touch on, anything you want to say, uh, people you want to shout out before we play something called Endgame? Oh, that sounds interesting. But, no, uh, I'm just really glad um, for this opportunity. Uh, and it's uh, like, I thought that, you know, I would be talking about my cults and stuff, but I learned so much about Nigeria and just this, like, and, like, anything that I want to say is to just have these conversations with different people from different cultures because you may not realize how similar we all are and the more we, like, learn about each other and the more we realize how similar we are, we can just, you know, make a little difference in just being more accepting of people who are different. Exactly. I mean, we're all part of the same race, the human race, right? Just that, you know... Uh, it's just like high school, you know, people just find their way into different pockets and over time, you know, culture, I mean, culture is valid, identity is valid, all that, but there are similarities that, you know, we all share as human beings. And yeah, I was glad I was able to, you know, say one or two things about Nigeria. But let me say one more thing. Have you ever heard about Pigeon English? No. Okay, so that's my question. <laughs> that's like my side quest in life to make sure that Pigeon English. So Pigeon English is kind of like it's kind of like Creole in Haiti. That's the uh, similarity. Uh, that's the comparison I always make. So it's English, but it's English that's not spoken like English. So it's infused with a bit of some local languages and it's spoken predominantly in Western East Africa mm-hmm. and on some islands. So it's 
kind of like patwa that is spoken in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Uh, so pigeon English, if I want to say, um, how are you? Uh, my name is Nusa. I'll say how far. How far is like what's up? How, oh. how far? My name Nanusa. So you can see that some of those words are in English, name, how, oh. far, but the context on how they are used is oh, different. Interesting. Yeah. So I mean that's something I've always I've always been thinking because it's a language that's known by virtually everyone in Nigeria. Oh, that's but everyone yeah. still has their own like individual language. So I've been thinking how do we structure it mm-hmm. and you know, create like the alphabets and you know the phrases and make it contextual make it like english just like how uh, you know the colonizers taught us english and how do we use that to teach the younger generation english because you can be anywhere in the country and if you know that language it's a more personal especially like here in the u.s speak pigeons or someone it's a very personal language mm-hmm. and i think in some way you can use that to bridge some of the divide but that's just my yeah my thinking also but so it's very popular in nigeria yeah, it is. It is. And Ghana and a whole bunch of countries in West and Central Africa, some islands uh, use it. There are different variations of it, you know, here and there, uh, depending on the country you are. But yeah, it is. It's It can be understood by literally everyone. Oh, that's that's nice. That's like another, you know, connecting. Yeah, but it's not, you know, most schools frown upon it. Uh, they don't use it for broadcasting most of the time. Some mm-hmm. stations doing you know, all that stuff. So it, it's, it's more like a classism thing. Yeah. Yeah, I but it shouldn't because, you know, if you have a tool like that that can bridge, uh, that can cut across different cultures, why not use it? But yeah. anyway, I guess we'll see. Uh, 20 years remind me. Yeah. <laughs> if you listen to this podcast in 15, 20 years, I'll follow up on Pigeon English. Exactly, exactly. So are you ready to play something called Endgame? Oh, that sounds scary. Sounds, yeah. Reminds me of the Avengers. Oh, yeah. Everyone always says that. Hopefully <laughs> Disney doesn't sue me. <laughs> but I, I think Disney didn't create Endgame. Endgame is a word. <laughs> but yeah, Endgame is just the game we play at the end of every episode. Um, so, um, I, I don't like to be too deliberate and I know you asked me, you know, like what questions we'll be talking about as a guest. That's a question I get from every single guest. Like what exactly, you know, can you send me some bullet points of questions? I'm like, look, it's a casual conversation. I just want to get to know you better, you know, things like that. But I also want to make sure that we're deliberate about I also want to make sure that we deliberate about, you know, learning about other cultures. So in the last five minutes of every episode, I try to ask you some specific questions about maybe your country or things. Mm-hmm. So people who are listening who never knew, who know that, oh, okay, I didn't know that. Um, I mean, we covered the very first question in, earlier in the episode, mm-hmm. but I'll ask again. Um, what's the capital of Pakistan? Islamabad. Gotcha. Uh, what, what's the biggest city in Pakistan? By population, I want to say Karachi. Karachi? Gotcha. I actually thought Karachi was the capital. It used to be, um, but then they moved it to Islamabad. Hey, new impact. I yeah. mean, we can, we might as well close the podcast now. <laughs> I always thought it was Karachi, but when I was researching for this episode, I actually found out it was Islamabad. And um, do you know the population of Pakistan? That's an interesting one. I've always told myself that this is a number that I should know when I've looked into it, but then I forget. I mean, that's an interesting yeah. one to know because I actually just looked it up and the reason why I brought it on this episode is about 210, 210 million. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but what was surprising was I found out that Pakistan is actually the sixth most populous country in the world. Hmm, I didn't know that. I didn't either. So yeah. I knew it was one of the, it would come under the most populated, like overly populated, but wow. Yeah, I mean, I never, I just thought like Pakistan was a country of what, 20, 30 million people. I never knew, you know, it had so many people. And Nigeria is actually the seventh most popular. popular yeah, Nigeria is about 200 million. Wow. Uh, last estimates, we haven't had censors in like a decade or plus, but you know. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, last question. Um, if you could recommend someone to be on this show, uh, someone who is like from a different background, not necessarily a different culture, but maybe a different culture has different experiences and you think would be uh, well suited to be on this show, who would that person be? Um, well, there are, there's so many people that are coming to my mind. Like there, I think if you can just, and I, and I don't mean this to be a Fulbright publicity post, but I think like because their Fulbright just brings so many people from so many different cultures together. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if you can just reach out to that forum and have somebody from, you know, anybody from that platform just come in. No, it can't be anybody. I want one person, one, one person. specific person that ah. you know, that you think uh, has 
everyone has a rich background, but you know that has an interesting background that might not really be known, or it's from a different country, or even if it's from the same country uh, as me, but you know has different experiences or has traveled and interacted with other cultures. Do they have to be in DC? Well, preferably, mm-hmm. because I because I know so many people from Boston. So many people from Boston, yeah. Because that's where I did my um, undergrad, undergrad graduate program. Oh, yeah, that's graduate where program. I know people from different program in DC. I just know very limited people from. My I mean, I'm also trying program. to set up like a Skype thing so we can I can like start to do Skype interviews. Uh, but I haven't done one yet. I'm still trying to. You know. I actually have a friend. I met her during my graduate school. She came on an exchange. She's from. She was an artwork, right? But she's from France, and um, this woman is phenomenal all she she's a human rights or she's aspiring to be a human rights activist okay uh, she's traveled to so many countries all over the world she um goes to different jails to see people um, wow. and just like learn about their experiences i think right now she's interning in palestine um and syria as well so i feel like her experience i, I enjoy talking to her just learning about different experiences that she's done she's been in Botswana. she's wow what's her name her name is Alexia. Alexia. Yeah, she's one of my best friends, and I met her while I was in Boston. What's her last name? It starts with G. I cannot pronounce it. Gotcha. Or, <laughs> for me, like you said, it's, it's different pronouncing it. But gotcha. um, yeah, her name is Alexia, and um, I think she, if you can get her on Skype, she would be the one person I would recommend. Okay, okay, I guess we'll set that up yeah. uh, immediately after this episode. But uh, do you want to, I don't know. Any, I know I've asked you if you wanted to say anything, mm-hmm. but would you like, I don't know if you're a social media person, if you want to drop maybe your social media handles or things like that for people to reach out to you. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm definitely on Instagram. My Instagram handle is nsbarlas. So it's N-S-B-A-R-L-A-S. It's not a public account, but I definitely, if you have any questions about Fulbright, Pakistan, me, just getting into U.S., anything, because I was a counselor, so I really enjoy helping people get where they want to be. Uh, so you can reach out to me, and I will definitely connect you or just answer your concerns. Or we can just connect on Instagram, and you can see um, my countdown to moving out of D.C. Insta stories. And you will find this podcast on my Instagram now. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming, Natasha. I really appreciate it. All right, guys, follow us, uh, Culture Class Podcast on Instagram also. Uh, Follow us on Twitter, Culture Class Pod, Facebook, Culture Class Podcast. Please send me an email. Tell me what you think about the episode so far. I'm not sure when exactly I'll post this, but this should be within the next two weeks or so. If you're the dude that listens from Dublin, please send me an email. (laughs) Or the lady that listens from Dublin, whoever it is, let me know. Um, Thank you guys for listening and have a great day. Thank you for having me, Nasa. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Nasa. Anytime. Yeah. Okay. So before we leave, uh, I just want uh, Natasha to, she forgot to drop her Twitter handle. Mm -hmm. And um, you, I don't know, do you still use Facebook? I use Facebook to just see who's getting married who's having a baby who's and, graduating yeah i use it to remember birthdays and birthdays <laughs> yes yes and birthdays and just follow all the events that are going on in dc but yeah Got, that's gotcha so you want to drop your twitter handles any other uh, yeah. social media handles yeah so uh, my twitter handle is actually the same ns barlas b-a-r-l-a-s and that's actually public um so that might be a good way to use the connect and hear my um, thoughts or two cents on what's going on. Do you, do you talk a lot about um, mental health on Twitter? Yeah, I think if I just scroll back my Twitter account, that's just one of the things that attract me. Like most of my retweets would end up being about mental health or a movie I watched. I like to uh, just vent out on uh, a movie that I've seen uh, that I like or don't like. So you may get my reviews or spoilers about movies. Okay. Okay. Cool. <laughs> okay. So don't follow her if you're a me- if you're a movie buff. Yes. <laughs> Unless you've seen that movie or show, I have a lot of Game of Thrones whining on my Twitter account. Oh my god, Game of Thrones! I thought we're over. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying this because I don't watch Game of Thrones, but oh, no, you like, don't watch it? I do not. <laughs> but, it's over now. Like it's, but maybe I might go back to watch uh, season one to eight. I don't know. It depends. I mean, I tried one or two episodes, but I pro- I might go back and see, try it again. Yeah, that's, you need to get into it. The wave's gone, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the last uh, season was underwhelming, I heard. Yes. I don't know. If, if I start on this now, it'll be another 40 minutes of another podcast. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yes. But hey, maybe we might have you. I mean, I know you live in a month, but um, I don't know, maybe via Skype, if I fix this, we can have you on in a couple of months' time and, you know, just uh, catch up 
and that, see where you are. That would be amazing. Yeah, I would love to do that and sort of see whether my life plans pan out. Hey, all right guys. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. Thank you.